Welcome to the Insurance House Podcast. Introducing your host, Mike Fusco. Our team enjoys speaking to risk management and insurance professionals across the country. We will bring our audience unique insights on all things insurance. We look forward to delivering excellent information to our audience. Whether you're an insurance professional, a client, a partner, or someone breaking into the industry, we're glad you joined, and we hope to bring the best content to you. This is the Insurance House Podcast. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining. We're live on the Insurance House. We have a very special guest today, Gwen Larkins, joining us from Maryland. Hi, Gwen. How are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you? I'm excellent. Thanks for taking the time. I know you're busy and you run a department of many people. So thank you for taking time out of your busy day to join us. No, no problem. Thank you for having me. So Gwen is the Enterprise Claims Technical Consulting Director with American Family Insurance. And she has many, many years in the industry. Gwen, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background before we get started? Sure. So um, as Mike said, I've been in the industry for nearly 20 years. Um, handled claims, all in claims, handled claims, dealing with personal auto, commercial auto, um, trucking, transportation, general liability, professional liability. So it's run the gamut of claims that I've handled um, throughout my career. I'm also a licensed Georgia attorney. So um, I licensed in the state of Georgia, but all of my experience and career has been working for various carriers in-house. Currently, I, ma I manage a team of consultants that handle with complex personal and commercial auto claims within the American family um, enterprise. Excellent. And I think, you know, I, I wanted to speak to somebody in the claims part of our industry, get them on for our audience to listen to, because I think a lot of times people, you know, they get kind of intimidated by the claims process. Uh, you know, they have insurance policies and when it comes time to report, they really don't know what to expect. And, you know, as an agency, I think we really try hard to be a represent representative of our client, get involved in the claims process, kind of stand in the middle to make sure things are going, going well and, and proceeding as, as they should. But I thought maybe I'd get, you know, an expert on to talk about that in, in ways that people can prepare for a claim or what to expect when it happens. So mm -hmm. thanks again, Gwen. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to start off and kind of going into that. What do you, what is your department? What do your staff, what do you guys look for? What type of documentation when a client gets ready to submit a claim? Yeah. So any and everything from incident reports to written statements, if you have them. Um, so anything that can be helpful to defend the, cl the claim is really what we're hoping to, to gather early on. As everyone knows, memories fade and things get fuzzy as time goes on. And oftentimes something might happen today, but a claim or a lawsuit doesn't come in for years to come. So really having the documentation and having all of that information, gathering it on the front end is thousand times more helpful on the back end when we're having to defend the claim. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's, you know, probably you're talking mostly about liability issues that may come up, uh, having good documentation. What types, do you have any particular examples of, of what people should have on file uh, for their records or things they can keep, you know, for the, for the lifetime of their, their business operation? Yeah, so liability as well as um, just uh, 
it, any sort of defect issue that could come up, right? Knowing when you started the project, when you ended the project, just really keeping good documents um, of record of, of what was what's going on, right? There's been, I've seen claims where um, a particular contractor had, had finished their piece of the project, something happened and they're brought into the lawsuit and they have the documentation to say, I was done on January 30th. This happened on February 15th. I wasn't even on site. So really just ha keeping good records um, as a you know, for your business in general, not necessarily yeah. in the light of a claim, but just keeping good records in general, I think is key. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, uh, we, we try to, we try to tell people that all the time. And, you know, we've had, when you're talking about property claims, uh, we've had situations where, you know, it's really hard. I mean, we have a lot of fires and we're in California. We have a lot of fires here mm -hmm. and you can't always remember what you had, what your inventory consisted of, exactly. what you may have lost in a fire without having proper documentation and records. So not only does it help the adjuster, but it also helps you as the, as the policyholder, you know, to claim and, and, explain what you had at the time of the loss mm -hmm. for sure for sure and do you guys see like those types of property catastrophic do you guys deal with catastrophic property losses or is it mostly on the liability side that you work with on my team it's mostly on the liability side we do obviously write um fire and theft and 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 property type losses um but mostly on the liability side for me cool cool okay so going further now um when a claim happens, you know, what are some considerations people should keep in mind uh, to work with the insurance company to make sure the claim moves along properly? Yeah. So I think one of the key things to to understand is that the claims adjuster is really there to help, right? The, our job as, as the insurance company is to help the insured in their time of need. And their time of need is when an accident or, you know, something happens. So really just thinking about it from that perspective, and I know everybody's not difficult, everybody's not easy to work with. And sometimes um, people may feel or insurers may feel like the insurance company is trying to catch them or, you know, not to pay their claim. Yeah. But really our job is to pay claim, our claims, our jobs are to find coverage, right? Um, so I think just understanding and, and trying to build a rapport and a relationship with the adjuster, understanding what they need, um, what documentations they need and things of that nature certainly help to, to go, um, I think a long way when filing a claim and getting a claim um, paid. So gathering all like that documentation we just talked about, gathering all of that um, together, um, figuring out what's the best way to to get it to the adjuster. Sometimes that's you know uploading it. Maybe you're going to meet face to face because they're going to come out to the scene, and maybe it's helpful to bring that so you can go through it. Right, sending someone an email with documents um, is good, but if you can actually walk through like this is what this is, this is what that is with the adjuster, then they can better understand what they're looking at and looking for, and can help to speed up and and move the claim um, along. So those would be, I would say, some of the, the high level things, just understanding that, you know, their job is to pay your claim and to to do right by you and, and approaching it from from that perspective. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, we tell our clients there's I think there's a misnomer in the industry that carriers try to find ways not to pay claims. And, and I've been telling people for years that's not the case. In fact, last year, 2021, uh, we tracked every single claim that we knew of that came into our office. Obviously, there's claims that get filed that we don't know about, 
but the ones that we got involved in, we tracked and 91% of the claims that we tracked were accepted by the carrier. So, you know, that not might necessarily mean that there's a payout because sometimes on liability claims, it could mean just defense, but they're still getting defense. They're still getting attorney representation. The carrier's paying for that. They're helping. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's a big number. So I think that's a big misnomer. Another thing that you brought up that I want to reiterate to our audience, claims adjusters see a lot of claims. I mean, they see a lot of happenings and, and, and I'm sure some claims fall in line with each other that they're similar, but no two claims are going to be the same because they don't know exactly. So an adjuster needs to take the time. They need to understand what you were doing, what was happening. And that takes help input from the policyholder. They're not going to know off the top of their head. Oh yeah. You know, that happened this way, whatever it may be. So mm-hmm. I think that's important to understand. You know, that's why there's a lot of questions. It's not because yeah. they're trying to give you a hard time, but exactly. Uh, <laughs> or trying am I to right catch in that you, way? right? Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Or trying to catch you, right? We just want to understand. Um, so that way we have the facts, right? We have to line yeah. up facts with the, the policy to make sure that there's, you know, coverage and, and whatnot. So yeah, it's certainly not to, to catch you or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. And it's another point you brought up. So the policy, I, I think people don't realize a lot of times is that the policy is a, a contract. You know, the language in the policy dictates the contract between the insurance company and the and the policyholder. Yeah. So we make sure, you know, people obviously reading 150 page policy is not a lot of fun for people, <laughs> you know, and there's a lot of language in there that they may not understand perfectly. Mm-hmm. But understanding your policy, at least reading it, going through it, looking at the endorsements, the forms, the exclusions and the limitations is important. Correct. Yeah. I would highly recommend that. Or, you know, having someone that can help, you know, whether you have an in-house risk management department, they should be versed in the policies or um, some sort of consultant or something of that nature, just to walk you through. And then also all of what you just mentioned, but what your duties are, right? So sometimes we will have a late notice situation or, you know, things of that nature that arise because the insurer didn't really understand what they had to do and when they should do it, when they should notify their carrier of certain incidents. So early reporting of claims. Yeah. (laughs) That brings us right into that. So yes, Gwen, can you speak a little further on that? Yeah. I think people kind of get lost and don't understand that. So correct. I think sometimes people think, and so I've seen it from both ends of the spectrum. Sometimes I, we have insured that, soon as an incident happens, they're reporting it, right? But then you have others that are waiting for a lawsuit or waiting for a demand from an attorney or waiting um, for something to happen before they report the claim. And I would say the earlier reporting, the better, because that allows the carrier to start investigating, even if you're not sure if a claim is actually going to arise. So you could report it as notice only. Hey, my insurance company, this thing happened. I don't know if someone's going to make a claim, but I want to put you on notice. So if they do, you already know about it. You may have already gone ahead and um, and investigated. I've had several yep. claims where, you know, for example, in a, in a multifamily community, someone passed away. Someone was deceased in a car. Um, we don't know how they got there, what happened. They went ahead and reported that to us so that we could start investigating. Um, in cases where there's fatalities, we may go ahead and retain counsel just so that we preserve 
um, evidence and we go ahead and start that process if a claim were to arise. I've had instances where none, nothing ever came of it. Right. Um, but we felt comfortable that we had done the things we needed to do early on um, instead of waiting uh, for a claim to come up. Because by that point, it could be, like I said earlier, a year, two years down the line, you know, that uh, a claim finally arises and nobody's investigated. We, you know, all the witnesses and evidence and everything is long gone by then. So being able to really start that investigation early and, you know, nothing came of it. We spent, you know, a couple thousand dollars to retain counsel to do some uh, preserving of evidence. And then that was it, you know, but at the end of the day, the insured was protected if something were to come. See, that's brilliant. Yeah. And I think people, you know, putting, we call it putting the carrier on notice, uh, maybe not so much reporting a claim, but putting them on notice. So that, like you said, and I think people worry about that kind of with their, you know, making their law, you know, their record, ruining their record, their clean record of, of claims history. But I tell people all the time, and I'm sure you guys do too. I mean, the insurance carrier is a partner to you. They assume liability also in these types of situations. So we really need to let them know to protect themselves and you mm-hmm. so that if something does come up later on down the line, you know, don't, we have to, you know, it's, it's a, it's good practice to let the insurance company know what's going on for sure. Regardless of your history, your claims history. Yeah, exactly. Because I think most, you know, carriers, particularly when I was um, at my prior company, we would talk a lot to our underwriters about accounts, right? So they would want to know, are they proactively um, reporting claims? Are they letting us know? So that's a part of the conversation. Not necessarily did we pay, but what's their process look like? Are they documenting? Like, what kind of shop are they keeping? You know, because that's a part of the risk that the carrier is taking on because you could have a case where there's no liability, but because the documentation and things of that nature are poor, then we end up having to pay because we're not going to be able to adequately defend the insurer. And then, yeah, exactly. Then now their loss runs show a larger payout. Whereas before you said maybe for a couple thousand dollars, you get an attorney to preserve the evidence, get ahead of it. And you know, their history looks a lot better on that case and in that regard than it does with the large payout. So, yep, Exactly. So that's great advice. Thank you, Gwen, for that. And for our audience, that's that's key. So keep that in mind. Uh, going on next. So I think you spoke earlier about contractors. And at our agency, we do a lot of work with contractors. Mm-hmm. And for many, many years, you know, we've always tried to explain the occurrence form policy, claims, triggers, and contractors' liability. Because it's not always crystal clear. You know, it's not black and white. It's There's a lot of gray area when it comes to contractors. So I was wondering if you could maybe give us a couple of examples or maybe one example, whatever you're comfortable with, sure. of some contractors' liability claims that you've seen where it may not always fall on the policy that you think it could fall on or it might fall on multiple years or whatever it may be. Yeah. So the biggest thing to understand with contractors is that it's very jurisdiction specific, right? So it's going to go based on the laws of the state. Some states say that an occurrence or an incident happens when the injury or the property damage manifested. Some say it's when the work was done and that's when the occurrence took place. So it's very um, jurisdiction specific as to what the laws are 
in that in that state. I did have a case um, some years back involving a um, contractor that provided um, a fire suppression system, and they were using a particular PVC pipe and caulking to put the fire suppression system in. And to their understanding and their engineers, that these two things were compatible come to find out that they weren't. And so they put all of these pipe in, this was a large building that they um, had refurbished. So they didn't create it from scratch, but they remodeled this large building. And um, years, a few years after they finished the work, the PVC piping and the water started leaking through because the caulking and the PVC piping weren't compatible. And um, there were actually, the current policy is where we, my company came in, we insured them for their current year Mm -hmm. policy year, but they had coverage for the prior year. And there was some property damage that occurred on the, the prior year, but then some that came in during our policy. So we actually worked to get myself and another carrier. It was a large claim. It was multi-million dollars. So there were more than one policy um, yeah. that came into play and we worked together to um, resolve. It was a lot. It was a lot. There was some, there was some OSIPs. There was, there was a lot going on. There was a lot going on in that particular <laughs> claim, but that's just a, a good example of where, more than one policy could be triggered. So it's really important when I talked about before, so gonna keep harping on documentation, record keeping, keeping a record, maybe like a spreadsheet or some sort of document that lists all of your policies for the existence of your company. Cause you never know when you're gonna have to go back 10 years who was I insured with at that time? Because in that state, it goes back to when I did the work versus when, um, versus when the incident occurred. So just yeah. keeping up with that documentation is so important. Key, key. Uh, in that case, with the there was obviously extensive water damage, mm-hmm. sounds like. Yep. Were you, it was through the examination of the loss, you guys were able to tell at what point the damage occurred? Like well, some that was done earlier, some that was... That's always interests me. Yeah. yeah. So what happened was there was some, it, there was some lapse. So we had one damage that took place and then later on a more damage took place. So it was, it. it was clear. It can get fuzzy, right? Because, and we did have to look through a lot of documents, look through, um, you know, emails and, and things of that nature, correspondence to really try to pin down exactly when um, it first occurred. But. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. It really is. And, uh, you know, with that type of loss, you know, obviously the contractor probably didn't expect any of that to happen. So no. good that he had, you know, the carriers to work together and make sure that they got it all. You guys got it figured out for him. Now, is it normal that contractors, I mean, I'm sorry, carriers would work together in that type of case and figure out where some of the liability rests with which carrier and to share in the payout or the loss? Yeah, I think that's normal. I mean, yeah. there are times where we're, you know, on opposite sides, right? We're saying, no, this is yours. No, this is yours, you know. But at the end of the day, at the heart of it, most carriers, in my experience, anybody I've worked for and in others that I've worked with are looking for how do we protect the insured? Um, you know, and in that particular case, I think it was fuzzy as to when 
the kind of going back to your question. So we both just agreed because the loss was so large, we might not never know exactly what date that we should both just do the right thing and go ahead and and pay, you know, um, the claim on behalf of, of the insured because there was a lot of um, fuzziness into the dates. So, but in my experience, yes, I think carriers do work well together with the common goal is to uh, protect the insured. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just quick question, side, little side question. Do you work with subrogation claims? I don't. Okay. I don't. I'm just wondering how often that would, uh, if they're prevalent or if it's more like some carriers, if they, if they do pay sometimes, if they think there's another carrier that's responsible, if they do subrogate or if they don't, or if it depends on the size of the loss or any of that nature. Yeah. I think all of that depends. It, it's all going to depend on all those things you mentioned. Often, if we think another carrier should be involved, we want to get them at the table when we're settling versus yeah. trying to go after them. Um, Later. After the so, after you settle, after, yeah, yeah, because that's probably more difficult. Yeah, got yeah. it. But if we can't, like, let's say they just fold their arms and say, "No, we're not paying anything to protect the insured. We're going to do what's right and then fight that battle later on." But to the extent we can all come together and come to an agreement, that's what the preference would be, just so that it's resolved and you know, yeah, it's done. <laughs> Absolutely, cool, cool. Uh, I have a couple more questions. Yeah. Then I'll let you get back to your busy day. Uh, <laughs> any other helpful information that we can pass on to to the audience, which is mostly small business owners, uh, that can help them when dealing with a claim yeah. or preparing so, for a claim? So um, this kind of goes back to the, the documentation, but um, if there's witnesses or any sort of um, people that are involved that are going to help getting a written statement from them, um, is always helpful getting their full name, address, phone number, email, and, and even social media if you have it. Because oftentimes what happens is people move, right? Or they change their phone number and you can't reach them. But most people, you know, that are on social media, it's pretty consistent, right? And so it's probably right. not going to change. We'll see as time goes on. But um, that would be a good thing. And then making sure that everything is... Um, is kept in a safe place, right? You may have a risk manager today and then they leave and now you have someone else. So making sure that, cause I've seen that happen where, you know, the owner might say, yeah, I know we, we kept these things, but I don't know where Mary put them. So making sure that there's some sort yeah. of labeling or um, some sort of way that you're keeping the documents in a safe place. So that way you can pull them out a year, you know, uh, years later. Um, looking at whether procedures were followed, right? So sometimes something will happen and um, because you realize, okay, there's a, a gap where our contractors or our subcontractors aren't doing this and going ahead and following up to say, hey guys, remember we have to do this because some sometimes one thing will happen, it won't be a claim and then it'll happen again or again and then it's now it's a claim. Whereas had we you know, um, recognize that procedures weren't followed or, you know, maybe people needed just to be reminded, we could have avoided the second and the third incident that then turned into claims. So, um, gotcha. So yeah. So those that would be sense. other things that I would say to keep in mind. Now, when dealing with subcontractors, you mentioned that briefly, Yeah. how important is it 
for proper subcontractor agreements and indemnification language, enforce additional insureds. Does that play a big role in your in your work? And what so you guys did? I did a lot of that work about a year a year ago um, when I was at my prior carrier um, for five years. I did a lot of New York contractor, um, oh, New yeah. York labor law work. Labor law, yeah, that's a labor big Labor law, New York labor law, yes. So it's very important because if it doesn't, you know, we have we had many cases where they said, well, we we agreed that they were going to indemnify us, but the contract doesn't say that or it has mutual indemnification. So they're going to indemnify you. You're going to indemnify them. You know, so at, and at the end of the day, just like the insurance contract, whatever the contract says, that's what goes. Whatever side conversations you had or side agreements, yep. they're not going to hold any sort of weight or muster. So it's got to yep. be in the contract, making sure that the contract says what the parties intend um, to happen. Yeah. The handshake deals don't really work out too well. When, no, uh, can't bring those <laughs> to court and tell the judge, you know, yeah. ask the judge to enforce the handshakes, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I know it's well-intended, you know, you yeah. have a relationship, but yeah, things have to be written. So exactly. awesome. And then, uh, last question. This is something that I think interest is interesting to know. Mm-hmm. Where are you seeing most claims currently? Like, are you seeing uh, any trends in claims right now or things that people might want to look out for in protecting their business? Well, particularly in the contractor side, I would say given the, um, you know, the boom in the housing market and things of that nature, just making sure that, you know, your subs and, you know, those that are working with you are doing, um, a really good job. I think there's anticipation that there will be some sort of uptick in construction defect because there's yep. so much construction going on and the labor there's a labor shortage, right? So finding good people to work is becoming more and more difficult. Um, so that's, I would say, one of the hot topics or things that are being discussed. We haven't seen and hopefully we won't, right? Knock on wood, we won't yep. see those claims, but we haven't seen them. But that's certainly something that's um that's top of mind right now yeah i could see that and i think that too because you know when contractors get really busy you know maybe their their work goes a little faster than normal so you just don't know what's going to come a couple years down the road but that's a great point um and uh yeah labor shortages it's it's been tough but cool well thanks Gwen. anything else uh, before we go on that you'd like to uh leave us with or talk about or at all? No, I think I think <laughs> documentation, documentation, documentation. <laughs> I can't say it enough. Yeah. Um, I just think that it can make or break a case. So making sure that we're doing that well, keeping good records, um, are, are the key. Great. Thank you so much. Documentation is very important. Very, very <laughs> important. So uh Gwen, thank you so much. It was a really nice speaking to you. Thanks for your great information. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was awesome. And to our audience. If you have any questions, you know, regarding what we spoke about today, uh, you can reach me directly. My direct phone number is 858-384-1507. Also, Mike at FOAgency.com. We have lots of helpful resources on our YouTube channel uh, regarding things that Gwen and I spoke about today. Claims processes, proper documentation, sub-agreements, all that good stuff. So reach out if you have any questions. And uh, I can... If you have any particular questions for Gwen, I'm happy to be uh, a liaison to, to answer, uh, ask those to her and I'll get back to you with the, with the answers. So 
Thanks again for watching. Gwen, we hope to see you soon. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Mike.